0: Welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. hope you enjoy this session. Today I'm talking to Professor Basha Spalik. So uh, Basha is an academic who's been an academic in higher education for 25 years, also a therapist. She's director and founder of mental well-being services. I'll put the details on, uh, on the podcast when we release it, with our co-founder, Michelle Overton. And I met Basha online about a couple of weeks ago at a conference at the UUK conference um, because she presented all about staff well-being, um, which is something really close to my heart. So uh, thank you so much for agreeing to speak to to us and to me today, Basha. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure being here. Wonderful. Thank you. Mm. You've created your business called Mental Wellbeing Services. So I assume that just like I've seen in my research, you, you believe that there is a need for services for, for students, but also for staff?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think over recent years, universities have really getting to grips with the mental health needs of students. But I think that uh, the mental well-being needs of staff is certainly the poor relative uh, in the institution and not enough is spoken about it, not enough is done about it. Mm. Um, So I feel very passionate uh, because I've trained as a therapist um, and my experience of higher education has sort of taught me really um, that it's so important to know about your wellbeing needs in this profession um, and this is why I run this company with Michelle Overton, because we want to share our tools with people, not only in higher education, but in other sectors, um, because we believe that if you you know provide people with tools, they are less likely to need sort of long-term uh, psychotherapy, uh, which is very
0: time-consuming and expensive. Yes. So the first question that comes to mind, which resonates with in from a linguistic perspective with with me Um, because I'm a linguist and I like words. I'm quite interested. You know, my research is flourishing. The podcast is called Flourishing Education. So and you've chosen the name Mental Wellbeing Services. Mm -hmm. So could you expand on that? it's a good thing i think it's linking it with physical well-being
1: in the sense that as a society we're much more open to discussing physical well-being Uh, but when it comes to sort of mental health there's still a lot of stigma around it and really the well-being idea is that our minds are just like our bodies we need to take care of them we need to exercise them, we need to have uh, you know a sense of self-care over our minds just as we have over our bodies. So I think we've been very specific with this idea of mental well-being um, that everybody has you know this uh, has to think about their mental well-being. Um, As a society we need to be thinking about that as seriously as physical well-being.
0: I love that flourishing for me is is Corey Kesey's work so you know flourishing languishing mental health is a continuum but for me it's exactly the same as physical health so mental health is is a continuum and we all have it Um, and we can do things to look after as our mental health in the same way that we look after our physical health and I, I guess that's what I'm hearing you say
1: yes absolutely and just
0: like physical health
1: you know education is important Uh, providing time space for people to give to their mental well being so all those things as a society we started to move towards in terms of physical health it's important we now grow that in terms of our mental health and well-being Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: wonderful so let's move back to what we started with in in terms of our conversation and the you know the, the, the well-being of staff being like poor relative and sort of not not looked at enough. What I mean? What explains that? Because obviously you know for me it's sort of we education or school you know universities is a system, so it can't be individual parts and if you or treat it like an engine and you just tweak one part and another rev better so what needs to change would you say
1: yes so i think with the introduction of uh, tuition fees uh universities are very much focused on Uh, students meeting students needs and of course the student voice has grown because rightly so they are paying money for their tuition Mm. so inevitably that has led to a a complete focus I would say almost obsession within universities of, of focusing on students their needs. Um, and of course, you know, the, 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 the staff, uh, the wellbeing uh, needs of, of, of members of staff have just been completely overlooked because of the pressures that universities are under in relation to the student experience.
0: And so what can be done to
1: change that? I think we need strategic leadership. I think we need open and honest conversations right at the top at universities um you know people who are in sort of leadership roles in management roles um to actually talk about the competing and almost unrealistic demands placed on on staff um that you know academics these days are under so much pressure they can't you know they have to sort of publish a certain number of articles in certain journals as well often you're told um, you can't publish in certain journals, you can only publish in the sort of high-ranking journals, Uh, you have to get research funding and it's never enough, you have to keep uh, applying Um, and with a very low success rate because actually pots of money are quite low and there's a lot of competition so there's already you know nine times out of ten you're not going to be successful and probably sort of 19 times out of 20 you're not going to be successful Um, And at the same time, there's a lot of demands coming from the teaching aspect for staff within universities, making sure you deliver high quality teaching um, and that you are there for students. And on top of that, there's a kind of also engagement that you're expected to do as an academic, as in engaging with the wider world, with wider society, organisations, conferences and Uh, actually if we had an honest conversation we would say it's absolutely impossible to do all of this um within the time frame of you know a seven or an eight hour working day uh, whilst maintaining our mental well-being Mm.
0: yes it's just it's overwhelming right for for staff um And in in an environment that is so competitive, do you think that prevents people from actually being honest and open about their struggles? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you are right. It is such a competitive
1: uh, area um, because, you know, it seems everybody is competing perhaps for similar pots of money similar uh, research sort of competitions, you know, so Mm -hmm. um, similar um, signs of prestige. Everyone is competing um, and there is little sense of collaboration, of mutual support, of compassion. Um, And, you know, this kind of system of competition, it doesn't feed healthy emotions, you know, positive emotions like joy, curiosity, Um, compassion. Um, People are just so focused on goals, meeting those goals and somehow, you know, being better than their colleagues Mm. within those goals so that they then become, um, you know, so they get, um, what's the word, Uh, so they go up the chain, you know, so that they get
0: uh, higher and higher up in the (laughs) in the chain of command. Yeah, it's like climb the ladder slowly but surely. (laughs) Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Um, And and I, I say that as someone who's worked in the system for 25 years, but someone who's also, you know, as a therapist, I've seen PhD students come through my door. And that level of sort of competition is already there at PhD level. Um, students are uh, encouraged to get publications before they even finish their thesis. Um, some of them may already be working as academics, and then they're under pressure to get research funding alongside doing their PhD. Um, and I, you know, I've spoken with people who say, you know, they get an email say uh, within their department that such and such a person has just got this research funding. And if they've been unsuccessful in something, they they just feel bad. They feel like they failed in some way. And and it it triggers so many negative emotions in people. It's unbelievable. And yet the chances of us actually succeeding in everything we do as, as an academic is almost zero because of the level of competition that there is over these resources.
0: So what you're telling me really echoes with the what I've been saying since I've Mm -hmm. started looking into what makes students flourish and languish is Mm -hmm. the the fact that I believe we need to look at at it from a systemic point of view in the sense that we are effectively all part of the problem but all part of the solution but we should equally you know flourishing education is about flourishing students and flourishing staff so it's about the system and making sure that the environment is fostering not the the fear you know the the survival sort of response which you know all the things you're describing you know fall under you know that, that fight flight response because we we're in fear and we're scared and it also sounds like you know, we, in in my research, you know, we talk a lot about the students being in a competitive environment, so therefore being highly perfectionist and, you know, having a real fear of failure and imposter syndrome. Do you think this is also true for for a lot of, of us as academics? Absolutely. You know, as a
1: therapist, you know, I've spent many years now exploring myself, exploring other people, Um, And I've come to sort of an understanding that actually I think perhaps people are attracted to academia because perhaps inside they feel a lack of self-worth. And so they're looking for something to give them that self-worth. And you're entering then into a very toxic relationship with higher education Mm -hmm. uh, because you are constantly looking or positive feedback, whether that's from tutors or from people who are reviewing any articles you've written. Um, you're constantly worrying about how people will receive your work. Um, and so you're looking outside of yourself for something that you can actually find inside yourself. And if you could build up your own inner self-worth, you would be less worried about reviews of any articles you've written, reviews of any books you've written. You'd be less worried about getting a rejection in in terms of uh, some funding you've tried to uh, access, um, because you would understand that actually that is just the system, and the system is an oppressive system, and uh, you're gonna have to find other ways, really, of believing in
0: yourself. It sounds to me like if we are only, if we have the imposter syndrome, the low self-esteem, really the environment where it's highly competitive is, is the worst environment we can ever be in for, for for our well-being. You know, this is going to be really detrimental to our well-being. Yes, yes, absolutely, because
1: it's unattainable, really. Um you know, it's not a compassionate system. Um, you have to get to a certain level. You know, you, in order for your article to be published in one of the highest ranking journals, you already have had to sort of fit into that specific box of what they are looking for. Um, and that can take many years to understand and to develop uh, the skills for that. So, of course, if you're entering that system with already sort of low self-esteem, anxiety, that process of learning where you're getting a lot of feedback saying, you know, this, uh, we can't publish this, um, here's 20 comments you have to respond to before we even consider publishing this, all that can, it it will just destroy you, potentially.
0: So the environment is obviously can potentially become toxic, like you've said, and us as individuals obviously have some of those traits. I mean, I know that, for example, when I wrote my first book and I still have the imposter syndrome, to be honest, itself comes up from time to time. So it sounds like really challenging, you know, both the environment and the individual. So what can we do? to change that how how can we change you know the environment to make it easier so that the individual can flourish or learn to flourish or learn to cope with the their fear of failure and their imposter syndrome
1: I mean, i think you know what you're saying is really it's how we change an unsafe system to a safe system because I think a lot of people will experience academia as an unsafe place to be uh, in terms of uh, achievements, in terms of promotion, in terms of um, their colleagues, you know, it's a a sort of, as you're saying, fight or flight mode, really, that people are in. Mm -hmm. So how do we make it a safe environment where people feel valued, um, safe, contained, Um, really I think we need to to look at the whole sort of process of what education is actually about and have we become too goal focused um, rather than process focused um, because you know for me education is a journey there's no end point in that journey um but, you know, it seems that today's higher education is very much just uh, goals, goals and more goals. Uh, and the more you achieve those goals, uh, the more likely you are to be promoted. Um, and because of that goal-based focus, everyone's in kind of fear uh, fear mode. Um, and if they do achieve those goals, as you were saying, there's this kind of imposter syndrome. Well, it, it's not me. It, that can't be me. I, you know, I, I can't relate to the idea that I might be successful um so we need to be less I think goals focused more focused on the journey and what it is actually to to be um educated and to experience education
0: and I love that because I've just had I recently had a conversation with a, a Dr Peter Gray in the States who uh, who's written free to learn so like talking about young people's the natural ways of learning and the lifelong value of play alongside that and it sounds like all not just in primary secondary schools also in higher education more and more we you know Education or learning is about gaining a degree or a quali- qualifications than than actually the, the learning itself.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, and this is, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? You're saying it's a kind of a system, staff and students. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, in my experience, students are very much also goal focused. Um, they want certain um, grades those are the targets, because they then want to enter a, a, a work market that looks at those grades. So everyone is obsessed with grades. Staff members are obsessed with their outputs, with their goals. So the two kind of feed each other constantly and no, there's nobody there to say, let's take a step
0: back. What do these goals actually mean? OK, if we had a magic wand and we could change the system <laughs> for you what would you change what would we look at I would love to put people
1: around a table around table discussion key thinkers and I'd love to put in the center of that table right the discussion point for this evening is how can we bring curiosity into education into higher education how can we bring a sense of joy and how can we bring compassion? And it's from that we can then put steps in place um, because that would be a fundamental shift um, to how we experience and view education.
0: I love that.
1: That, I'll come. I will as well, yes. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing. I'm not saying I need to be the person telling anyone, you know, how we do this. I'm just interested in facilitating that conversation. Let's have these creative spaces where we bring people together who think the unthinkable in terms of higher education. You know, what's stopping us from doing that? I should imagine that people are just so overwhelmed with the goals they have to achieve. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody's got the time anymore to Mm -hmm. like, like, let's spend a few hours reflecting on these deeper issues. Yes, yes. It
0: almost feels like everybody has almost i hopped on the you know on the treadmill and we all going for our goals <laughs> and we've never we've not had time to just sort of press pause on the treadmill and just go right okay let's just instead of running let's just pause and sort of you know walk because even covid you know even like with the pandemic yes things have changed but it's not made it slow slower if, if anything it's made it even more demanding because you've got the uh, blended learning, online learning, converting the teaching into, you know, all of those things. So we haven't even had the time to sort of like, yeah, press, press the pause button, I guess. Yes, yes. And this takes me back. You know, when I first started out in higher education,
1: sabbaticals were sabbaticals. You had, you know, three months where you could, there were no goals. You know, it was about reflection. Nowadays, you're lucky if you can get a month as a sabbatical and you've already got to be listing what you're going to be doing in that month with your time. It's almost as a society, we can't think that emptiness is not nothingness. People seem to think because you're not doing anything, there's something inherently wrong with that. What I'm saying is actually through emptiness is where creativity comes, you know, we can't be all just action all the time our minds our bodies need empty time as well and i would just love higher education to see that you know how we can create this sort of empty time which could become a very creative space it's not goal driven it's not target obsessed it's just about reflecting upon you know our values what
0: what is education all about mm. I love that. And you know what? Um, it It's really interesting because this summer I had a really uh, great conversation with a colleague of mine um, because I really found it hard over the summer to switch off. So normally mm. in the summer I go back home to France um, and uh. I spend about two or three weeks with my family. Um, and after, after COVID and after sort of mm. moving online and doing things, I literally... Could not switch off i couldn 't switch off and i couldn't i couldn 't relax, and it was almost like what what was going on for me is like it's idle being you know doing nothing is you know you're not achieving, etc yes, yeah, and because I practiced mindfulness, I had a really long conversation with my mindfulness teacher. Um, and I recorded it for the podcast, but we were were talking about that, just the fact that, you know, what you were just saying, that in a way doing nothing or, you know, taking a rest is almost seen as being idle and lazy.
1: Yes, 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 absolutely. And it's interesting you say sort of COVID hasn't, it hasn't created this kind of space for people slowing down. As you say, it's actually created... Um, Not only a lot of anxiety and financial difficulties for a lot of people, but as you were saying, as systems have had to adapt to the new working environment, it's created a lot more uh, pressure on people and a lot less free space. Um, So COVID, you know, it's not brought this sort of uh, space of calm and relaxation in our society. If anything, it's added to the anxiety that's already there. Um, And so we really do need to start to think about, you know, even be mindful about, I would say, when do we feel um, guilty? When do we feel we're being lazy just because we happen to be sitting down drinking a cup of tea? Can we not just enjoy that moment of drinking a cup of tea, looking out through the window idly? Can we do something called daydreaming without feeling bad about it? Uh, What is it about today's society that seems to suggest we're forever having to do something to be productive, to be a member of society?
0: And that reminds me of that, what I often say to my students, because when they say, you know, oh, I don't know if I'm going to take any break over. (laughs) Hang on, your name is human. (laughs) Human beings, not human doings, <laughs> human beings, so you will need to take a rest, you're not a robot, you can't just keep going and going, um, but yeah, I love that, um, that, that Yes. sorry, we've, we've completely almost like forgotten about the, our human beingness, mess, right? Absolutely.
1: And for me, you've just sort of demonstrated that, you know, you're aware, you're, you're, you know, you do mindfulness, you're aware of your own needs, you're aware of what's happening for you. And because of that, you then have a heightened awareness in relation to your students, many of whom are going to be very, you know, young people, essentially who perhaps don't have a huge amount of experience of what it is to be human. Like you were saying, it's human being, not human doing. And I think it's it's great if we can have these kind of more enlightened people within positions of, of teaching, of, of research, because I think that can then be very impactful on students. So
0: I, I love to, yeah, it's great what you're saying to your students. I think, yeah, I mean, I hadn't realized Thank you, because you're making me realize that that's what it is. That's what's missing is that somehow, by hopping onto the treadmill, we've the the trade-off has been to let go of that human humanness that you know that comes with acknowledging that as a human being I suffer and I experience challenges and also that compassion understanding that also others suffer and experience challenges mm-hmm. um yeah so thank you asha that's let's uh can <laughs> you <laughs> connect that I, I appreciate that yeah that's great from my perspective that's really healthy yes so um you know it sounds i mean obviously we've talked about the environment and how we need to change you know, somehow that the environment needs to change. And that involves also, like you were saying, leadership. So having leaders who are open to talk about what we've just talked about. Um, And I think for me, what's really important in the conversation, what needs to happen is not about blaming or shaming. It's Mm -hmm. about having a really open conversation about this is where we are and how Mm -hmm. what are we going to do next? Because the problem with you know pointing fingers is that you know trying to find who's to blame you never go anywhere. Um, So, would you agree with that? I mean,
1: yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's interesting because I think you know anger is a big thing. You know, Uh, I think there is uh, a lot of anger, perhaps. what's the word, suppressed anger within higher education. Um, So I think people need to find healthy ways of expressing that anger without getting into a blame game. Um, I think people get into a blame game often because they're propelled by that sense of anger, that sense of injustice, and they're looking for people to hold accountable. So I would say find healthy ways to get your anger out, and then let's have that know like you were saying that open non-judgmental conversation about where we are and where we would like to be
0: Mm. yes yes absolutely and i think anger in a way is healthy because sometimes anger is about um boundaries right it's about sort of saying no no more (laughs) um so so actually it's how we respond to to that feeling, um, you know, and I think I think so. So what I don't want people to hear is me saying no. Well, you know, if you're if you're feeling you you've got too much on, you can't express that because that's absolutely not what I'm saying. Um, but it's about sort of for me, it's, yeah, going back to the systemic and about the how do we make it work. Um, it's how do we change the system. But it's also in a little bit the, you know, what what is in my circle of influence. What can I, uh, what can I control? I guess as an individual in a big system that I may not be able to influence, if that makes sense, or I may feel I can't influence.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think if you start to look at what you can influence, it can be very empowering and you can get that sense of agency. Um, and yes, I would agree with you. Anger is a good thing and it is about setting boundaries in place. It's uh, just, uh, I would say, a kind of healthy kind of anger as opposed to a dysfunctional anger. Um, it's differentiating between the two. Um yes i think it is about you figuring out where your zone of influence is what you can do that can make a small difference to that system you're in
0: yes because that's one of the thing that one of the biggest pushback i get and i don't know whether you get that as well where when i talk to people about more well, stuff about flourishing they say to me no change my environment and then i'll be fine um, yes do you yes. get that as well do you get the, that sense that it's about changing the environment and then everything else will fall into place? And do you agree with that? Or do you think that's the,
1: the
0: only way it can work?
1: I've met many people have, within higher education kind of given up. You know, that is the, the point that, look, this is the system. It victimizes everybody. I've given up trying to change it. You ch- You know, I want somebody else to change the environment for me. Um, almost like a learned helplessness going on yeah. um, what I would say if, you know is try to dig deep within yourself uh, don't submit to that system and it is little steps it is little changes just think about what you as an individual can do you know whether it's even just having that conversation with a PhD student you know about compassion about not being so focused on specific goals it can be little things little seeds that you are planting within that system and if enough people plant small seeds then it will grow into something different it is about planting small seeds I've learned that as a therapist when I work with clients it's planting small seeds
0: I like that particularly because my the book the flourishing students compares the the whole system as a garden Ah, oh, <laughs> wonderful so, yes i like that <laughs> planting new seeds so that it just the the flowers are you know maybe different flowers and they're flowers based on compassion and you know respect and listening and all of those you know uh loving kindness you know that that sort of thing, and not the opposite of competitiveness and and fear of failure. You know all of that. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. That's great. No, I love that uh, imagery. Absolutely love yeah, it. Yes, no, that works. Um, amazing okay basha so um, i'm conscious of of your time um, and i'm really grateful for your time um, when i um normally when i sort of wrap up with with my guest i um i ask them you know if you have one or two things you would want people to remember from this conversation what would it be um I would
1: like them to think about what, what changes, what little seeds they can plant uh today that could make a little difference for themselves and other people, just small little changes they can make. Um, and perhaps to start to, you know, think about it, the system that they're in and uh how much it is focused on goals rather than the journey, the process of, of education, and maybe to think about how we can bring in kind of a mentality that sees education as a journey, as something that should be like a wonderful thing,
0: mm-hmm. not
1: a pressurized, toxic thing that it is becoming.
0: Yeah, you know, what I'm hearing is, be the change you wanna see in the world, but equally, you know, just sort of like also that awareness and noticing how we are feeling and and how we are responding within that system.
1: Yes, absolutely, yes.
0: Yeah, I love that. And you know what? Maybe we'll, we we can have another conversation where we can discuss further how we have that conversation with more people like we've just done. I would love that. That would be great yeah i'd be very interested <laughs> yeah no, i think i am I'm, I'm quite up for that and i'm sure there'll be quite a few people who might want to <laughs> to have a conversation like this to sort of start the change you know it's sort of um, that that's how change happens does it not yes absolutely <laughs> wonderful well i'm really grateful for your time today um basha i've really loved talking to you thank you i've really enjoyed our conversation i think you're very uh, inspiring yeah so are you and um, and i look forward to um keeping in touch and having more conversations like this offline and online thank you me too have a lovely evening take care Take okay bye, bye.